Welcome to the Mike Dillard Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you get the knowledge and skills that you need to bring your dreams to life. Well, gang, today we're going to talk about scaling your company. Now, this is a topic that we've discussed a few times here on the show because it's one of the biggest challenges that any entrepreneur will face. Well, one of the most valuable resources that you can have during this phase of the development of your business is a rock star board of advisors who have already been there and done that. Every great founder surrounds themselves with other great leaders who can bring their lifetime of experience, knowledge, and relationships to the table to help you make better decisions, avoid pitfalls, and ultimately provide you with an unfair advantage that your competition does not have. But attracting and acquiring a team of high-level advisors, especially if you're just getting started, is easier said than done. Well, today we're joined by Chris Guerrero, who is an incredibly successful entrepreneur and who also advises a handful of other large companies, some of which do billions of dollars per year in revenue. Now, basically, he helps companies create the processes and the systems that they need to scale to the next level. And today, he's going to teach you how to build a game-changing board of advisors for your business, just as I have done for mine. Yep, I have a board, and you're going to find out who's on it here in today's episode and how I went about building and attracting those individuals to my company. So without further ado, please help me welcome Chris Guerrero. Well, Chris Guerrero, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I had a a chance to connect at Baby Bathwater a couple of years ago uh, with a bunch of other rock star entrepreneurs out there, which was a lot of fun up at the top of Powder Mountain, one of my favorite venues ever for an event. Right, right. Same here. What an amazing view, no matter which way you look out there, right? It's tremendous. Yeah. I mean, just in these cool little urts at the top of a mountain, uh, definitely hard to beat. But I really appreciate you coming on the show today because we're going to be talking about a topic that has always been a big passion of mine because it's been a big challenge for me personally. And I know it's a challenge for a lot of other entrepreneurs out there as well, which is how to scale and grow your business. And you are one of the foremost experts on that. I know you help consult with some Fortune 500 companies, names that everybody listening to the show would know. Unfortunately, we can't mention them <laughs> because, of, uh, because of the NDAs you have. But right. I'm aware of the, who those companies are and the work that you do. And so what an amazing opportunity to learn how to scale a business from you here today. And when you and I were kind of prepping for the show, the premise that we had was that the people who are listening today have a seven-figure business. They might have one, two, three employees, customer service agents, maybe a tech person. But for the most part, they're, they've built this business from home. They're growing like crazy. And now they're about to hit that inflection point where their ceiling of complexity is beyond what they can do personally. And they, start, they need to start building a team. So with that being kind of the overall 50,000-foot view of what we're going to cover today, before we dive into that, bring everybody up to speed on your story and your career. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't know how far back I should go, but I'll tell you, I started in business as a personal fitness trainer. And that was a, you know, I'm I'm not even going to say how long ago that was because I don't want to divulge my age, I don't think. But, you know, so I started as a personal fitness trainer and, and and I remember I was sitting in a college class and I designed my business card and I designed what I wanted to do. And I decided I was going to start this little personal training thing. And I, I did it and it was a lot of fun, but I always had a goal of helping the greatest number of people possible. And that, that 
vision, that mission kind of stuck with us with every company I've built ever since that very first one. And that personal training company didn't last that long because I really couldn't. I kept hitting that ceiling for the number of people that I could personally help. So I ended up designing this personal training company and we grew that within a year or so to almost 150 personal trainers up and down the East Coast. And, And that helped me go from helping just a few people to helping hundreds of people. And however, you know, for anybody that's listening who has ever started a business using mostly independent contractors, you learn a lesson very, very quickly. And that's that if you don't have all your ducks in a row, you lose your clients or your customers very quickly because independent contractors not handled properly tend to steal your your, your business mm. uh, very easily. So I ended up transforming that personal training company into a our first health club and grew a chain of health clubs on the East Coast. Uh, throughout New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And that took me from being able to help hundreds of people to being able to help tens of thousands of people, which was really a great confidence boost for me. It was great for helping me and the company to grow to the next level. I sold that company after being in the business for over a decade. I sold it in 2004 and wrote my first book and took all the knowledge that I had you know, in the health field and decided I was going to use all these different marketing tactics that I had learned while I was developing these health clubs, but I was going to use it online to sell these books. And by doing that, we were able to sell where where most authors, what would you guess, probably sell 5,000 or so copies of their books in their entire life. I mean, most authors, we were able to sell over 60,000 copies in the first 60 days, 319,000 copies in the first year. We've sold over a million copies of our books so far, again, using the exact same systems that we use to scale those health clubs, the same systems that we use to scale the personal training company. And I'll get into some of those systems when we talk a little bit later on. But but anyway, I wrote that first book and I started to get contacted by several other companies saying, you know, I'm seeing your books everywhere. And it's strange because back then, back in 2003 and 2004, when that book was really being launched, Nobody was doing what we were doing online. So to see an ebook everywhere was just crazy. So we got contacted by several companies to help them spread their message and to you know pick my brain as to how we were doing this. And I decided we were going to take that core competency that I had and create this branding company. And that branding company now helps political candidates to spread their message. It helps Hollywood producers to fill seats in movies. It helps companies to spread their message to millions of people really, really quickly. It's a great, it's a great company, but it's again, it's using the exact same systems that we use to sell those books. And that branding company ended up, uh, one of the companies that we ended up doing work with was a, a group of attorneys who were in the class action industry. And we sat down with these guys and they said, geez, what you're doing in this branding company to get the message out so quickly is like a decade ahead of where we are in this industry. And after working with them a little bit, we ended up having this meeting and they said, you know, how would you like to start this company with us? It'll be a class action noticing firm. And our job will be to spread this message about these notices that are out there. Because for those of you who don't know what a class action notice is, if your company, God forbid, is ever hit with a class action, you are mandated by a judge to tell everybody who might have seen your marketing in the past that there's a class action against you. It's a horrible, cutthroat, crappy industry. I'm not involved in it. Our class action noticing firm is the good guy, but we are mandated by this process into spread the word about this 
properly, the right way. So they said, you want to start this company. And now what that company is, is America's largest internet-based class action noticing firm. So it, it works. Again, the exact same system to spread a message about the personal training, to spread a message about the health club, to spread a message about the books, to spread a message in the branding company now being used in the class action firm. So since this has been happening, we have I've been able to develop four eight-figure companies and a bunch of other seven-figure companies, all in different industries. Again, the whole time staying inside of that little box of mine, which is my core competencies. And I'm able to do this because my day kind of goes like this. From 9 to 9.30, Emily, who's my assistant, gives me my numbers, the numbers, the key metrics that we need to know about for each one of the companies that I'm personally involved in. And I look at those numbers and I take some notes on what I see happening just by looking at those metrics. And then from 9.30 to 12.30, I'm in meetings with each one of the leadership teams in each one of the companies that I have you know, my hands in. And I'm pushing them forward and we're going over three or four main things in every single one of our meetings. And then after that's over with about 12.30, from 12.30 to 3, I do what I'm good at because I'm an employee of each one of the companies that I have. And I push things forward using my core competency. And at three o'clock, I'm out of here and I play with my kids. So that's, yeah. that's where we are. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. So what's the, the secret sauce behind your, your system? Because you've been able to scale all of these companies that you've owned. You're helping scale these other companies. What's the secret sauce here? Because this is a really big challenge for folks because, at least in my experience, the skills that allow you to go from zero to a million dollars is essentially sales, sales and marketing. But the skill that allows you to go from seven to eight figures, multiple eight figures, is completely different. It then gets into people and team building and leadership. Right. And uh, it's a starting over point for a lot of people, which for solo entrepreneurs is a challenge because now you've got to take on two roles at once. You got to keep the revenue and the marketing and the sales coming in. And now you've got to stretch and acquire these new people skills and leadership skills. Yeah, exactly. So you basically just summed it up. It's, it, is, it is a focus on scale what is you know what is going to scale your particular company because a company that is not focused on scale is literally leaving 5 10 20 times their revenue on the table and most entrepreneurs or CEOs they get stuck in doing things that eventually end up killing their scale so uh, they're measuring the wrong things or they're using the wrong kinds of systems or they're aiming their message at the wrong audience or they're not developing leadership teams inside of their company or they're not focused on themselves you know developing themselves as a CEO, right? And we could go over all that kind of stuff, but measuring the wrong things, the first thing that I said, so vital, right? Most people, most entrepreneurs don't know what to measure. So they're measuring the wrong things so they can't win because their targets are all wrong. So let me give you an example. Most companies look at increasing just revenue and they look at increasing revenue just by a little bit each year. Whereas we look at increasing market share. Because when we control more market share, our revenue scales far faster, we attract better talent, and things become infinitely easier to grow. Now, if I'm a small business and, and you know, let's just say my niche, right, how do I possibly measure market share? Yo, well, it's simple. You look at who's your, and I'm going to use a word that probably I shouldn't be using, who's your enemy, right? Mm-hmm. So what we do is we, uh, so let me I'll put you in a scenario where it's just me. If it's just me, I don't have any employees. I don't have any vendors. It's literally just me sitting in my home office and I, I'm starting this business. 
I want to know who are the top three companies that I want to beat. And if I could beat them, I'm going to be making a lot more revenue. Now, it doesn't have to be the three biggest kingpins out there because I don't want to try to grow from zero to $100 million because that is really difficult for almost everybody, right? We want to grow from zero to a million or we want to grow from zero to $3 million. Whatever, wherever we are, we want to pick that next big level. Find out who the players are right there, the top three companies. And then you look at those three companies, you say, well, what's their revenue? What, how many people do they have on their team? What media do they use to attract their traffic from? We look at some of these things and we, and we develop a key group of numbers. Now we know what we have to beat in order to gain more market share. And guaranteed, if I pick Joe's company and Joe's company is doing 10 million and I'm doing 1 million today, if I beat all those numbers that Joe is already hitting, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take his market share and I'm going to win. So, and then we just pick a new set of enemies. Yeah, I mean, you know, without a company or the competition being public, right, we're not going to have access to the revenue numbers, but... Uh, well, we could get access to quite a lot. So okay. if it's not, it's definitely not a public company, but with, with the 10, 15 minutes, you could go online and you could make some pretty, pretty close guesstimates as to where their traffic's coming from, looking at some analytics or, you know, using some of the free online tools. We could try to figure out whatever we can. We look at we try to figure out everything that we can figure out. Or we go on LinkedIn and we study their company on LinkedIn or whatever the case is. We look to get whatever metrics we can. Then we have a target to aim our, our focus at. Yeah, I mean, a great. I, I think the easiest metrics that I can think of would be social media, you know, potential social right. media followings on Instagram, YouTube, subscribers, Facebook, whatever it may be is probably the easiest way to gauge folks and obviously you can look up people's traffic as well uh in google and see how many search results or how many visitors they're getting per month pretty easily and that's a big indicator also so uh you know once you've identified the those three leaders in your niche that you want to eventually surpass how do you do that you mean what you what's next yep. after we yeah. find <laughs> yeah. that yep yeah so we we create a definition for what we believe market share is going to be and then, you know, based on those numbers that we just saw from those people. So if you, so using the example that you gave, which was terrific, if we, if we put their Facebook followers, if we put, put their YouTube subscribers, if we put all that kind of stuff into a formula and we say, this is what I need, this is where I need to grow to. Then we look at the people we need on our team or the processes or the systems that we need in order to get there. And we have to remember, we have to remember three big, big things when we're doing this. Number one, it's far more about relationships than it is about sales because you can leverage your relationships to make a million times more sales in any business, in any industry, in any economy, no matter where you're starting from or no matter where you are right now. You could, you could make so many more sales by leveraging your relationships than you can by just focusing on, on, on making more sales. And when I'm talking about relationships, I'm talking about prospects and customers and employees and vendors and mentors, you know, huge. And I'll give you some examples with no money we were able to go out there and leverage radio. So, and I shouldn't say no money, no money now. We did start with some money, but we now have relationships with radio stations who air our commercials on remnant space time. And they air our commercials for free as an affiliate of ours because we started with a small, small radio station that did not cost us much money to put a commercial on. We ran a commercial, 
We found a way to make it profitable, which was not that hard to do. And then we had a meeting with them and we sat there and we said, hey, listen, every single time you run this commercial, this is what we was is what we make. And we sat down and we actually opened up our affiliate program so that they could see the the link that they're announcing on their station every single time is generating blank number of inquiries, is getting is generating blank number of sales, is generating blank amount back to an affiliate if we were paying an affiliate. So now we have these relationships with radio stations across America who will literally air our stuff any single time they have empty space and we've got money coming in from there. That's a relationship. It, we were not focused on sales. We were de- focused on developing that relationship. And that relationship takes so long to develop, but it is something where you give first and you really, really strive to over deliver in that give to them. You've got to prove proof of concept with them. And then once you do, it just keeps paying off. And I could go on and on about relationships that we have nurtured that have turned into uh, catalysts for our growth. Yeah, that's, that's just yeah. one of the big rules that we follow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, relationships have the biggest ROI in the world. And the interesting part about that is that it takes patience and the the win. You don't know when it's going to come. It's probably going to be far off in the future, but you're one relationship away from a completely different life in many, many, many cases. Right. And Mike, you know, so think about this for a second. How many people do you believe your listeners may know without even knowing they know them who could literally blow up their company for them? So we've had uh, we had a, a client inside of our consulting firm one time whose sister is an actress. And literally, they never even thought to ask their sister to endorse their product. But even if it's your sister's brother's cousin's nephew who, you know, with a week of work and with a few phone calls and emails, we could leverage our, each one of those relationships to get through to the person who might be able to help us in some way, shape or form or open up a door that we could have never gotten to. Yep. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I, I used it three times this week. <laughs> hey, guys, I need help with X, Y or Z. Who do you know? You know, that's a rock star at that. And a couple of emails came in from friends and I'm got intros to some of the best people in the world when it comes to you know YouTube advertising and smart segmentation and all of the stuff that I'm kind of working on and all of those introductions were made possible from the existing relationships that I've had for years and without those I would have just been sitting here googling things and you know spent a year probably going down the wrong road yeah yeah I, um and again that's just one of the three rules that that I think everybody needs to live by but but one of the one of the most important decisions that I ever made in business was to create a board of directors, and that was when I had first sold my uh, the chain of health clubs, because I had no idea how to handle money. Like I was super good at growing co- companies, super good at making money, but not great at handling it when it came in. So I knew I needed a group of really smart dudes to help with that, and the the great majority of those people are still on the board today, but. One of the smartest decisions that you could make at any size company, whether you're just breaking the million dollar mark now or you're at the five, 10, 50 million dollar mark, wherever you are, is if you don't have a board of advisors, right? You don't even have to have a board of directors because there's a lot of legalities around that. But a board of advisors, if you don't have a board of advisors, that single tactic could help you create this group of minds that are geniuses at certain things and you can leverage them anytime you want to. Now let's talk. Let's talk about how to form that. 
right? Sure. And let's keep it at the board of advisor levels because the, the, again, there's, there doesn't have to be a lot of paperwork involved there. But if someone wanted to create that for their business, because I get asked all the time, hey, will you become an advisor for my company? You know, will you help us out or you know, whatever it may be, do some consulting? And if someone wanted to form that for themselves, they're just getting started. What does that process look like? Because you know, it could be asking people to join your board for free. It could be asking to join for uh, you know consulting fee or equity in the business. There's a lot of different ways to go about it. Sure. But what what do you usually see, and what's appropriate? So I would never want a board of advisors that's free. I don't. I, I need somebody. I need every single person there to come with a core competency that earns their position on the board. And I need a way to keep them highly motivated on opening their Rolodex for me and, uh, and, and doing whatever it takes to help us grow. Now, I am well aware of the fact that somebody who's on my board, of, uh, you know, a board of advisors from one of our, for one of our companies um, is not a partner. So they're not going to be fully vested in working, you know, 24 hours a day for us. However, if we are able to entice them somehow, then it really creates that connection that is really necessary to get, get big momentum, especially in the beginning stages. So we offer equity to everybody on our board of advisors. And again, we have a board of directors for our main company, but we have boards of advisors for many of our growing entities. And uh, the equity offer usually goes something like this. Here's a piece of paper that says exactly what I would need you to do. This is what I would expect you to do if you're on my board of advisors. Here's exactly what you could expect in return from the company for your work. And, and the bullet points that say, hey, John, if you're going to be on my board, this is what I expect from you. It's going to say, here's the amount of hours I would expect for you to focus on the company each month. And that might be, you know, three to four hours a month, or it might be, one meeting a month, which is four hours long, whatever it is, it might be email contact as needed, or, you know, two phone calls a month as needed, whatever you feel is really great. I need you to open up the Rolodex. I need you to, you know, anybody who is a target client of ours, I need you to reach out and at least send me one client a month, whatever you believe is really important for them to bring to the table, put it in writing. And also put in writing what you're going to give to them in return for that. The equity normally is a percentage of growth from the day they sign that agreement ongoing. So we personally, we don't, we don't have a cutoff for equity in most of our contracts. Some of them we do, but in most of them, it would go like this. Hey, John, if you're going to, if you're going to join, you're going to sign this on the date of signing. We're assuming the revenue is at zero because we're already, if we're already making $5 million, you don't get anything that we're making right now. But from the day of signing, any increase from that $5 million, you're getting 1% equity or whatever the equity position is. And if we end up selling, then you get blank percent equity in the exit as well, because all big people that you're going to invite to your advisory board are going to want a big payout in case you sell. And that's great because they may bring the buyer to the table or they may be, be able to bring a big lender to the table who brings you several million dollars to help accelerate your growth. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great advice. What would be, what would be appropriate percentages of rev share and, and equity? Well, so 
like I said, like the example that I was just giving, one percent. One percent is is a is normal unless somebody's a big player. It's a one percent equity. Yeah. And we just we just cut a deal. Um, and by the way, I would not make the standard across the board for every company, nor would I make it standard across the board for every person I'm inviting on. Because if you came onto my board and you have you know this ungodly core competency that I know if we plug that into the company, even on a limited bandwidth, like as an advisory board, not even as a partner, but if we plug that in, it's going to accelerate my growth so much that it's worth 10% to me or 8% to me, whatever it is. I may do, I may be willing to do that if it's that big for me. And I may say, Hey, Mike, you get, you get 8% of everything from the day you sign the growth from the day you sign to the day you exit. If you if you if you decide you don't want to be part of this anymore in four years, you lose everything. But during that four years, every month or every quarter, I'm cutting you a, a check for the growth of the company from the day you came on board. And if we sell the company while you're still on the advisory board, you get eight percent of that sale also. So I will make the same equity for the exit as I am for the actual um, payments. And the reason why I do that is because I want them highly motivated to help walk me through the sale of the company, to help, you know, help me vet these proposals that are coming across my desk, or to bring people to the table who may be a potential acquirer for the company. And obviously, you want to make sure that you, know, you have these agreements drafted by a really you know, knowledgeable business attorney because you want to have, let's just call it an exit clause in there as well. If this individual, let's say, doesn't show or doesn't provide the return that you you were expecting, uh, you know, from them. Right? They've they've missed a few of the calls. They've right, started- they're 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 done. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah, exactly. If they do not do that, so in 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 our in the consulting program that I've got, when we work with a very small number of clients, but when we're working with somebody, we have the exact template that I personally use each time we start drafting these, and we give them to. Our clients, but with that said, every single person who ever enters into this, any anything that we ever help them to draft, then they have to take to a really competent attorney. So, but let's talk about that for a second because competent attorneys are um, are not a dime a dozen. So, if if you have a, a attorney who's really good at one thing. You don't want to assume they're good at anything. There is no such thing as a general business attorney, in my opinion. I know they're out there, but I would never use a general business attorney. It's like going to a doctor and asking the doctor if they would cut your leg open and fix your knee. You wouldn't go to a doctor for that. You would go to a surgeon for that, right? A surgeon knows how to cut. A doctor knows how to give you drugs. A chiropractor knows how to crack you. A massage therapist knows how to massage your knee to make it better. But you would go to the specialist that you need in order to get the result that you want. So an attorney is very much like that. You want to go to an attorney who's familiar with contracts like this. Or if you're acquiring a company, you want to go to an attorney who just deals with acquisitions of companies. If you're selling a company, you go to an attorney who's just focused on selling a company. You could have a team of attorneys, but you don't want the same person doing the contracts for all these different things. So... So which specific kind of attorney would you want to hire to put together some advisor agreements like this? I it would be a contract attorney, a business contract attorney. Okay. Yeah. Great. You know, and I'll just give you guys some real world of examples of this in action. So 
this is one of the primary ways that Aubrey Marcus blew up on it. So he started up a friendship with Joe Rogan years ago and offered Joe a fairly significant piece of on it. And, you know, Joe's got his podcast. He's big in the MMA world, obviously, with the UFC. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing Joe wearing an on it t shirt on his podcast on YouTube everywhere. And that single handedly is what blew up on it as a company. You've got guys like Josh Bazzoni from BioTrust, who has, you know, it's a $100 million supplement company. So Josh now does advisory agreements for other food startups, right? Food brands that are smaller and they're, they're up and coming. He'll take an advisor position. And as he starts to see the growth of those companies, he might even make a pretty significant six or seven figure investment in those businesses because he sees what's going on on the inside. He sees the growth and he's going to come in at an early round at a really good valuation and buy a bigger piece of the company beyond the this percentage he got as an advisor. So this is really a, a phenomenal way to to leverage people's relationships. And by the way, both of those individuals are advisors to my business. So Josh and Aubrey, I went to them, offered them uh, a piece of equity in my business to become advisors on my board, uh, which they said yes to a couple of years ago. So I've done the same thing. And you can, uh, you can do that as well. And I would highly recommend that you pick people who have connections, relationships, or skill sets and knowledge that are completely different than what you have. And uh, you don't want to go replace yourself with someone else who has the same skill set. You want to find someone who is missing a piece. Or excuse me, you want to find someone who has a piece of your missing puzzle. Right. So what the easiest way to do that would be to develop a, a process org chart, right? An organizational chart where you're at the top and then every major piece of the puzzle is a box underneath you. And this is not this is not like a regular organizational chart because you're not looking to fill this necessarily with employees, but it would be your org chart for your future board of advisors. That way you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what box you're trying to fill. So that when when somebody comes across your desk and they're a rock star at something, if they don't fill one of those boxes, there's a possibility that they're just not right for you at the level that you're at right now. And when you're when you're looking to fill those boxes, before you decide to put somebody's name in there, before you reach out to somebody, you got to understand that you're not looking for somebody who's done it once. Once is luck in business. Somebody could have developed a, an eight, nine figure company and they could have muscled their way through it and not learned duplicatable processes. But if they did it twice, great. If they've done it three or more times, that's called a track record. And I want that person on my board of advisors. Yeah, absolutely. What's the best way to approach these people that will give you the highest chance for a response? Well, so it depends on uh, what your credibility is. Like, have you already developed a decent sized company? Do you have a platform or, you know, something like that? If so, then I would try to create that org chart. So I know exactly the core competencies that I need in each one of those boxes. And then I would find out what, what companies already have people in them that are super rock stars at those core competencies. And then reach out via LinkedIn, because on LinkedIn, you're going to be able to go to those companies and you're going to see exactly who is the rock star in there that's doing blank, blank, and blank. And you could literally reach out and say, hey, this is this is Mike. I've got you know this this company and it and this is my success record so far. And now we're developing this new company. But prior to developing this new company, prior to the actual launch, 
we're putting together a board of advisors and I'm looking for these qualities for one of the seats on my board of advisors. You have them inside of the company that you're at right now. And I understand that like-minded people hang out with like-minded people. So I'm wondering if you know somebody or if you're interested in something like this yourself to actually have an equity board of advisors seat with my with this new company. If you are, man, I'd, I'd love for you to reach out. If you have somebody in mind that you would refer to me, I'd really appreciate this. And, and if you do, then let's jump on a quick 15-minute call and just hash this out and just see if there's a fit between us. That would be one way of doing it. Number two, some of the best board of advisor people are friends of mine, like people who I have met because I've been in business for a long time and I have been around the block a lot. And reaching out to people that I know and that I've been able to watch them grow their companies and watch them implement these core competencies in their own industries. Those are the people that I, I can just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And if they know me, then they've watched me grow companies as well. So it's a very easy, it's let's go have lunch and talk about this thing. Now we're talking as friends. Yeah, it's just amazing how much easier things get when you know the right people. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it really is. Like I, I've been going down the YouTube rabbit hole here the last couple of months. I'm really interested in, in starting to do some paid YouTube advertising campaigns. And there's a couple of people that you can find out there on Google. But, you know, one friend of mine, uh, I asked him who he knew, introduced me to the best performance uh, YouTube, uh, you know, consulting agency out there. And essentially, they run the entire campaign for you for free, and they only get paid on performance, whether that's the number of leads they generate for you or the number of sales they acquire. And they're the best in the business at what they do. And that's someone I would never even know existed without without uh, my circle of influence and the people that I know. So this can be really, really powerful. Now, Chris, who, who would you say are the prime suspects to fill those seats and, and which roles, right? If you're the founder, essentially, you're the acting CEO. Your primary gig right now is, is again, bringing in revenue, making sure that the products and services are getting delivered. You're wearing a lot of hats at once. Is it someone with financial experience? Is it someone in technology? Is it someone in media and marketing? What are the primary roles that you would look to fill first? That's a great question, but it's going to be slightly different for depending on what we're trying to grow. Yeah. So I'll give you some generals, if that's okay with you, yeah, as opposed please. to trying to be very specific. And I, and I would just caution that anybody listening, you know, don't just take this and say, oh, I need this. It has to be personalized for you that otherwise it's going to bring you in the wrong position. But leadership team, like, I, like one of the very first boxes that I want is somebody who understands how to locate and find leaders, how to locate them, how to onboard them properly how to manage them properly so that they stay motivated. I want somebody who is great with organization. I want somebody who is great with finance, like you said before. I want people on my board of advisors who are kick freaking ass at getting my message out to the right people. So that might mean social. It might mean somebody who is really great in offline media. Like I, those are things that I want on my board of directors, I have, you know, people who could help me spread my message. But I also have a guy on there who is just outstanding in understanding commercial real estate investments. Because again, this is 
This is for me personally. And I want to be able to understand not just how to grow my company, not just how to get my message out to the right people, not just how to help over deliver to the people once they come into my company, but I need to know how to invest that money. Like I need to know where to put the money that's coming in so that it's not just flowing in and then flowing right back out. Most of the cash that comes into our company, we reinvest in the company and we reinvest in the people in the company and we reinvest in getting the message out to a greater size audience. But there's also a chunk that comes in that needs to go someplace else. So it's got to go into an investment module that is going to help it to grow as well. So because I'm growing myself, because each one of my my companies, each one of my organizations is an asset in my portfolio to help me personally reach my goals with my family, right? So each company is funneling money to help me grow my retirement fund and also my kids' funds and also, you know, the the charity funding charities. So I need investment modules to help manage my money. So you have to try to figure out what is your board of advisors meant for? Is it meant just to grow your company or is it meant to grow your company and you as a person? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Circling back again, when it comes to approaching these individuals, you know, it's one thing if you have a really good personal friendship or relationship with them already, the trust is already there. They already know what you do. They already know about your business. And that's a really easy yes to say, uh, you know, to get an answer to. But for someone that you don't know yet and you don't have an established relationship yet, is this something where you want to have almost like a pitch deck prepared as if you were going to go, you know, approach VCs for money, but the same, they're going to have the same kinds of questions and want the same types, kinds of information. So is that something that you want to have prepared ahead of time? If not, what should you have? Yeah, we have a one pager and the one pager basically says what we have done in the past and what we're growing right now, what they could expect as being, uh, you know, from us and what we would expect from them. So it's just a one pager and I keep it really short and sweet because the great majority of people that you're going to invite to this, they have very limited mental bandwidth yep. for this kind of stuff. They want to be involved. They want to give back. They want to be part of a growing entity, but they, they do not have the mental bandwidth. And if they did have the mental bandwidth to go through a whole slide deck, then probably they may not be perfect for you, right? Because if they have that much mental bandwidth extra, then um, they may they they're not running their own organization. They're not in the trenches right now, which is a blanket statement. And it might not be true because you may be able to find a retired person who did great things and now just wants to sit on your advisory board. But I will say also that I would put the majority of effort into the first big name, like the first big player that I invite. Because if I could get a name on there, somebody who other people would hear, oh, they're on your advisory board too, then you're going to get a lot more people on board and you'll have to rely less on your credibility. You know, that's a great point. So I did that with Evergrow. Uh, mm-hmm. So for, for those of you who are new, Evergrow was the hydroponic system that I was developing two years ago. And the main person I had as my primary target to get on the board was Dr. Peter Diamandis. Right from X from X Prize because he was one of the people who originally inspired the idea for the product, and I knew that if I could get Peter on the board, then every single door is open to me. From that point forward, hey, by the way, Peter Diamandis is on my board and has equity in the company. Would you be willing to take a phone call? The answer is yes, one hundred percent of the time. (laughs) So, um, 
So that was that was uh, that's why why I pursued that and and I pursued a a relationship with Peter for probably six months. I joined his Abundance three hundred and sixty organization. I started mingling with people who had personal relationships with him, and eventually ended up sitting next to him at dinner here in Austin when he was in town for South by Southwest. Uh, showed him a picture of the prototype, and that was pretty much it. He said he would love to be an advisor on the board and sent him the paperwork the next week, and he was officially a part of the company. Hey, so you put a lot of time into that relationship. Yeah. Did it result in a greater abundance of sales? Well, uh, you know, unfortunately, it that project got uh, – I had to pull the plug on it. it I didn't okay. get it to to launch, but having him – on the board of advisors opened so many doors and potential opportunities when it came to marketing that it was it was awesome. Okay. Um, so it definitely worked, but at the end of the day, that business you know unfortunately didn't cross the finish line, and uh, I actually ended up investing in a competitor uh, instead, and that's going really well. So <laughs> okay, so um, in the end, one way or the other, these the the more time you spend getting the right people on your bus, you know the. Yep. the right relationships behind you, everything else grows. I, I have many similar stories to yours, but you know, uh, Bob Proctor, who most people know the name, uh, Bob, I wanted Bob to, I wanted to work with Bob. I, I wanted him to want to work with me. And, uh, and I ended up busting my butt to get into one of his programs, which was way more than I could afford at the time. This is many years back. And, uh, ended up getting into his program and sticking with updating him on a regular basis as to my growth since being in his program, updated it, updated it, updated it, updated it. That was when I was struggling in the health club industry early on. And then eventually sold that company for over 17 million and updated him on that and thanked him for all the help that he, he gave me mentally to get through that. And then we ended up becoming friends. So that relationship ended up turning us into friends. And then that friendship ended up turning him and his company into a client of mine in my consulting firm, where I literally went in and helped their company, right? So it was somebody who would have never given me a second look, now a client. And then the CEO of his company, Sandy Gallagher, who is a tremendously great person, was a client of mine at the time. I introduced them and helped them to create a relationship. Now, she and he, she and Bob are Proctor. Uh, she and Bob are partners. So now it's not even called the Bob Proctor Company. It's called the Proctor Gallagher Company because they're literally partners on this. So that whole relationship that I invested so much time into over years of effort into that ended up turning into something that now he's on. If you go to my website and you look at some of these companies that I've worked with, he's on there and he's saying some great stuff about me, which ended up converting into just a tremendous amount of revenue. Yeah, you brought up one of the single best strategies when it comes to approaching someone who's on your on your target wish list. Uh, I was doing the same thing with Tony Robbins for a bit, and oh gosh, who else was it? Uh, it was Tony and and somebody else, but uh, I think I think it was Gary V. But I was keeping them up to date on Evergrow as well. Uh, you know, Tony's one of his biggest passions, if not his biggest passion, is you know, feeding homeless people, right. right? That's his single biggest charity. That's his biggest mission every year. And I'm like, hey, I'm inventing a piece of hardware that will reduce food costs for people by 90% and et cetera, et cetera. And, 
you know, that's kind of in his wheelhouse. And so I would just keep him up to date on the progress of the projects and them photos of the prototype and things like that. And uh, was taking the exact same approach, the very, the very long-term, long-tail, you know, strategy when it, come to, when it came to building those relationships. That's a really good point. Well, Chris, this has been a this has been an awesome call. This is a topic that we've we've talked about briefly over the years on a podcast, but we've never taken a dive this deep into putting together a board of advisors. And uh, the nuggets you shared today are just awesome. If someone wants to reach out to you and potentially hire you as a consultant for their business or to maybe join their board, who do you look for? What's kind of the criteria that they need to have, and how do they get in touch with you? Well, so it would be a company that's doing at least a few million dollars a year. We, inside of our consulting program, we have companies that are doing uh, a few million dollars a year all the way up to a few billion dollars a month. So um, so it would be somebody who already has momentum, somebody who already has some revenue coming in, somebody who already has a, a little bit of a team so that we could go in there and we could help them with their team and their systems and their processes. Because when I, in my venture capital firm, my responsibility in that firm is that uh, once a company goes through all the rigmarole of getting funded by us, I'm the partner that goes into each one of the companies. And I look at their systems, their processes, their people. I look at their culture. I look at these things so that we can restructure them for growth so that whatever we're investing in, into that company, we're able to double that and get our money back within three to five years so that we can help them to grow, but still leave them with enough money to continue to grow after we are done with them. So that's my core competency, going into a company and restructuring them for growth in small changes, right? No big changes because big changes usually crush a company. And in our consulting firm, it's the exact same thing, ex- except instead of owning an, you know, a giant share of the company, because we'll go in there and we'll take majority shareholders of that, we'll take 51% if they're in the venture capital firm. In the consulting company, people are literally just paying and I am going in there and I am helping them to, to make all the tweaks. And we talk every single week to make sure that they are growing small changes every single week so that they are breaking through a lot of these obstacles that hold most companies back from scale. So yeah, we've got, we've, we have club, it's called club 28. I'd love for anybody who believes that they would be a fit for something like that to just get in touch with us. If they go to the website, chrisguerrero.com, they'll be able to see a lot of the clients that we work with. They'll be able to find out how to get in touch with me to see if there's a fit. And if they believe there's a fit, then we'll set up a quick phone call to just jump on to see if there's a a fit personality-wise between us. Because I don't want to work with any company that I don't believe we're going to have fun with yeah. as a CEO yeah. as well as a company. And they don't they don't want that either. If there if there's a, if there's a clash of personalities, no nobody's having fun for sure. No, definitely. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the time today, uh, guys. I'm going to put a link to Chris's website here on uh, the podcast uh, for uh, this episode. You can go to mikediller.com forward slash podcast to find this uh, with links to Chris's social media profiles and his website. And if you think it's a good fit, call him up, have a conversation. And, uh, you know, I could only imagine that the experience that he has working with growing companies and the connections that he has, you know, with those attorneys that you need, with the media companies that you need and contacts, they're already there. That's the value of having a board of advisors. So I would reach out to him if you think it would be a good fit. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. This was a real pleasure. Thanks, Mike. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Guys, thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week. Take care.